0: Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth, and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring, and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Amen. Chapter 19, of the book of Breshes, in the Chumash, it says, The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. Now Lot saw and stood up to meet them, and he bowed face to the ground, and he said, Behold now, my lords, turn about, please, to your servants' house, spend the night and wash your feet, then wake up early and go on your way. And they said, No, rather, we will spend the night in the square. And, they, and he urged them very much. So they turned towards him and came to his house. He made a feast for them and baked matzah, and they ate. They had not yet lain down when the townspeople, Sodomites, converged upon the house. From young to old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, "We, Where are all the men Who came to you tonight, bring them out to us that we may know them, know them in a carnal way. Lot went out to them, to the entrance, and he shut the door behind him, and he said, I beg you, my brothers, my brothers, do not act wickedly. See now I have two daughters who have never known a man. I shall bring them out to you, and you do to them as you please. But to these men do nothing inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. And they said, Stand back. Then they said, This fellow came to sojourn sojourn, and would act as a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. They pressed exceedingly upon the man, upon Lot, and they approached to break the door. The men stretched out their hand and brought Lot into the house with them, closed the door, and the men who were at the entrance of the house, they struck with blindness from small to great, and they tried vainly to find the entrance. Then the men said to Lot, whom else do you have here? A son-in-law, your sons, your daughters? All that you have in the city, remove from the place. For we are about to destroy this place, for the outcry has become great before eye, So Adonai has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws and the, and the betrothed of his daughters. And he said, Get up and leave this place, for Adonai is about to destroy the city. But he seemed like a jester in their eyes, and the eyes of his sons-in-law. They actually said to him, Can't you hear that there's violins playing and there's guitars playing and people are singing in the streets? It's peaceful. It's a night." Nice night out. Do you think it's going to be destroyed? You're crazy. Then just as dawn was breaking, the angels urged Lot, saying, Get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are present, lest you be swept away because of the sin of the city. But still he lingered. So the men grasped him by the hand, his wife's hand, and the hand of his two daughters in Hashem's mercy on him. And they took him out and left him outside the city. And it was as they took them out that one said, Flee for your life. Do not look behind you nor stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountain, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Please know, my Lord, see now your servant has found grace in your eyes, and the kindness was great with which you did with me to save my life. But I cannot escape to the mountain, lest the evil attach itself to me and I die. Behold, please, this city is near enough to escape there, and it is small. I shall flee there. Is it not small? And there I will live. And he replied to them, Behold, I have granted you consideration even regarding this, that I not overturn the city about which you have spoken. Hurry, flee there, for I cannot do a thing until you arrive there. And he therefore called the name of the city Zoar. The sun rose upon the earth, and Lot arrived at Zoar. Now Adonai had caused sulfur and fire to rain upon Sodom and Gomorrah from from Adonai out of heaven. He overturned these cities, the entire plain, with all the inhabitants of the cities and the vegetation of the soil. His wife peered behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. We'll find out why salt in a second. Abraham arose early in the morning to the place where he had stood before Adonai, and he gazed down upon Sodom and Gomorrah and the entire surface of the land of the plain, And saw and behold, the smoke of the earth rose like the smoke of a kiln. And so it was when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Avraham. So he sent Lot from amidst the upheaval when he overturned the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up from Zohar and settled on the mountain and his two daughters with him. For he was afraid to remain in Zohar and he dwelt in a cave with his two daughters. The older one said to the younger, Our father is old. There is no man in the land to marry us in the usual manner. Come, let us ply our father with wine. Lay with him that we may give life to offspring through our father. So they plied their father with wine on that night. And the older one came and lay with her father. And he was not aware of her lying down, of her getting up. And there was on the next day that the older one said to the younger, Behold, I lay with my father last night. Let us ply him with wine tonight as well and come lay with him that we may give life to offspring through our father. So they plied their father with wine that night also. And the younger one got up and lay with him, and he was not aware of her lying down or getting up. Thus Lot's two daughters conceived from their father. The old one bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the ancestor of Moab until this very day. And the younger one also bore a son, and she called his name Ben-Ami. He is the ancestor of the children of Ammon until this day. Tragic story. Lots to learn from uh, this particular incident about Lot. Lot is, make no mistake, a wicked person. It's confusing because some cite a, a verse of one of Peter's letters where Peter refers to Lot as a righteous person. But as the sages bring down, Lot was only considered righteous in comparison with Sodom. Which is why he didn't want to go to the mountains. They said, flee to the mountains. What they were really saying was flee to Avram. Avram. And he said, I don't want to go to Avram because among when I'm near Avram, I'm a I'm a Rasha, I'm a wicked person. But when I'm in the city of the plain, I'm a righteous person. So he wanted to go to Tsar. He ended up in a cave and not in Zor because he was afraid still that God would destroy even Tsar, But Tsar was only 51 years old of a city, and its, its sin had not yet reached its fulfillment. I want to just make a total off-topic aside from what Zeke and Rayford read when he said that Yeshua said that he would not drink wine with us until he drinks it with us anew in the, in, in the, at the wedding supper, maybe sooner on time. I also want to point out that's exactly what Yosef said to his brothers when they came and he revealed himself to them. He said, I have not had any wine until now as I didn't want to drink it until I drank it anew with you. So there's a reason for everything. Going back to our story of Lot, we can learn a lot from Lot. We can learn a lot from Lot in how to control our our passions. There's a lot to say, no pun intended, here. Even in, we're going to be talking a lot, I I keep saying a lot, sorry, (laughs) talking quite a bit from (laughs) Mayam Loez's commentary, which is interesting because Mayam Loez's commentary to this passage talks about the dangers of drunkenness, and he talks about how we're not to be drunk on Purim which, of course, is coming up. Many people think, many people in Judaism think that it's a mitzvah to get drunk on poem, and actually it is not. It is never a mitzvah to commit a sin. I think I will. It's never a mitzvah to commit a sin. Now, very often, I say very often, I shouldn't say very often, sometimes Hashem will use a sin and bring something holy out of it which the story of Lot's daughters is one of those stories because both the offspring of Moab and Ben-Ami, Ammon, both are in the lineage of Mashiach. And the sages bring down that this whole thing really transpired because Hashem was trying to bring a diamond of Mashiach out of Sodom. Now, I'll be honest with you, that doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to me why Hashem needed to use Lot to have incest with his daughters in order to bring about the heiress to Mashiach. Two heiresses, in fact. And, uh, and I, I don't understand that. And the sages have commented on it and said, well, you know, Hashem likes to bring out of, uh, out of uh, the clip, uh, elevate the whole. Okay, I get all that. But still, still, it, it's like, wow, you take something that is a big sin and that sin is a part of the life of Mashiach. Having said all that, I think it goes back to the idea of God's immense mercy that is beyond our capability to really fathom. That even when Lot does not want to leave, that it says in God's mercy the angels grabbed him by the hand and forced him to leave. What's interesting about this story is that they were not doing this because Lot was such a great guy. He clearly was not a great guy. He had just offered his betrothed daughters to be violated in the most terrible way by a horde of men. Now, why is that so bad aside from the fact that these are his daughters? Because most men would die before they let you hurt their daughters. You'd have to destroy them before you would do that. Okay, that's normal. But what makes it even worse is that the daughters were betrothed. They weren't yet married, but they were betrothed. They were engaged to get married, which means that he was offering up his daughters not just to be horribly abused, but offering them up for the sin of adultery. So it was even doubly worse to have relations with a betrothed woman, even if she's not yet married under Jewish law. She has not yet gone under the hoopah. But to even have a relationship with her while she's betrothed is also adultery. Okay? So anyway, you have this situation. Lot is not a nice guy. He's not a holy guy. He's not a Zadik. So why is it saying Hashem's mercy? The reason is, is because the reason the angels are there and saving him is only because of the merit of Avraham. Only because of the merit of Avraham which is an important thing because when you encounter Jewish people and they say to you, why do you believe in Messiah? And you say, well, he died for my sins. And they say to you, well, Jews don't believe that. We believe that nobody can die for your sins. Just understand, Judaism does not believe that. They absolutely believe that a zodik can die for you, a Zodic that you can do something. A Zodic's merit can save you. Which is one of the things we did in Israel that for me was the most important thing. Well, not most important, I don't want to say those terms, but one of the coolest, most meaningful things was to go around to all the different tombs of the great Zadokim, which I hadn't really done before, although we had been before several times to the tomb of David Amalek. And we have been, of course, to the empty tomb of Mashiach, which is why his tomb is distinguished from all the other ones, because there's nobody there. But we had not ever gone to the tomb of Rambam, which inclu- included four other sages from the Talmud. We had not been to the tomb of Rabbi Akiva, which also included the tomb of Rabbi Ramkal. Or the Ramkal, I should say. And we had not been to the tomb of Rabbi Mir. All of these are in Tiberias. King David's tomb is in Yerushalayim, as is the, the empty tomb of Mashiach. But when you go to these tombs like Rambam, David Hamelik, Mir, Ramkal, Akiva, you find people there. They've turned them into synagogues. And people are praying there. They're not praying to the Zadik. But the Zadik's tomb is front and center in the shul. Why? Because... When you pray at the grave of a zodik, it's understood in Judaism, when you pray at the grave of a zodik, you are, you are coupling the Zadik's merit to your prayer. This is a Jewish idea. So the idea is if you really want your prayer answered, you go to the grave of a zodik and you pray. And Hashem should answer your prayer in their merit. This is why these tombs are made in the synagogues this very reason. Which means what? Which means every time we say, please Hashem help us, Bashim Yeshua, in the name of Yeshua, in the merit of Yeshua, that's what we're saying. It's completely 100% Jewish to do such a thing. This is why women would gather at the tomb of Rachel to pray for a baby, which is just outside of, of Jerusalem, between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. So, Lot is being saved and Abraham's married. One day, I, I know it's going to happen at some point. We'll be able to put a tour together. And we'll get enough guys to be able to afford to go on the tour, you know, because they're expensive. I get it. Like, I'm talking about the big tour bus, and, and I've got to get a toupee for the hair and a microphone and all that. <laughs> it's got to be a long toupee. But anyway, we're going a to tour. But if we get enough guys together, we get 10 guys together, 10, at least 10 men, that we can go and wrap feeling and pray shakrit at the empty tomb of Mashiach. I'm going to throw out a wild bet that that's never happened in the history of <laughs> the universe. Probably never happened. So God's mercy is so great that he would save Lot, who's not worth saving, but he's saving him in the, front, in the, in the, in the merit of Avraham. The Zohar brings down, in fact, that Lot had just become the chief magistrate of the city that day. That's why he was sitting at the city gate, because that's where the judges sit. Which is why they said, this guy who's a surge owner would judge us But when he saw the men coming, he thought they were just men. But he understood that they were special men. There's an interesting insight that says that they are called men up until now, now they're referred to as angels. Why? Because they're no longer in the presence of the Shekinah. In the presence of the Shekinah, everything's like men. But there's another insight that says that they actually took on the form of men. And whenever they're in the terrestrial world fulfilling their mission... They appear as men, and whenever their mission is done, they no longer appear as a man. Boy, that sounds familiar. <laughs> but I digress. So the men are walking up. He knows that they're special, and he, he remembers the hospitality of his uncle. But there's something else that Zohar brings down that stirs him to do something, is he sees among them the form of Abraham. Walking with these men. So he knows there's something. Now why, why is that important? The form of Abraham. Remember that Abraham looks like Adam. And Adam looks like a spitting image of Hashem. And Isaac looked like Abraham. So that when the father offered Isaac on the altar. He, the father was offering his image on the altar. Which looked like Adam. Which looked like Hashem. So when he says I see the form of Abraham coming. He was seeing the form of Hashem coming. So he stands up and encourages him. Listen, I want you to come in here and he wants to take them by a, 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 a secret route that brings down in the insights so that people don't see them actually coming because anybody that offered hospitality to guests in Sodom and Gomorrah, this, they would be burned at the stake. The big sin of Sodom was the failure to give hospitality. Contrasting this story to the story of Abraham when, Abraham, when the guests came to Abraham, these men, Hashem and two angels is what it was, but when the guests came to Abraham, Abraham got involved. He himself made preparations. He washed their feet. Sarah was making matzah, and then he sent a, a, his aides to go out and get the fatted calf. Everybody was working to be hospita- hospitable to the guests, But in the story of Lot, you make special note that only Lot is doing everything. The wife is doing nothing and the daughters are doing nothing. It doesn't say that the wife was preparing anything. That that nothing was going on. It says here um, that he made a feast for them. A feast implies that he's, this particular word here used for feast, which is mishte, implies a wine feast. It says the term is not used for the meal offering that Abraham gave to the strangers because it talks about in the comments that Abraham's meal offering was more like the offering of, a, of, a, of an offering on the altar. But Lot made them like a wine festival. Sforno brings down that the problem was is that Lot really liked wine. But not just the wine to drink because, you know, people like wine and we like these kinds. That wasn't the problem. Lot's issue was he liked to get drunk on wine all the time. So whenever he had a feast, it always involved lots and lots of wine, specifically wine. An Insight, uh, talking about how to become... Greater than the angels. I, I want to mention this. It says, a truly righteous man is like an angel in God's eyes, particularly since he is flesh and blood and subject to temptations, it says in Malachi. So why is man greater than the angels? Why are we not supposed to worship the angels? Think about this for a second. We're not allowed to worship angels? Well, someone said, well, clearly we're not allowed to worship angels because they're not God. Okay, that's obvious. But another reason we're not to esteem angels, we're supposed to consider ourselves actually above angels. Why? Because angels don't have the evil inclination. They don't know what it's like to suffer. They don't know what it's like to have the temptations. And everybody has something that they tempted with, right? For a lot of women, it's chocolate. And Somebody said diamonds. Wow. So we have this issue. A truly righteous man is like an angel in God's eyes, particularly since he's flesh and blood and is subject to temptations. If he does not sin, he's greater than the angel. So if he actually resists his evil inclination, if he prevents himself from sinning, then he becomes greater than an angel. Why? Because he's not tempted by the evil urge. Which is why the Mashiach, why it was necessary for the Mashiach to come to be clothed in this dust and ash so that he would know what it's like to have to endure the evil urge so that there would be nothing that he could say like an angel. I don't know what it's like. He can empathize with us and sympathize with us and know what it's like, which is why there's prayers in the Siddur, talking to God to please have mercy and forgive us and remember that we're just dust and ash. It says, by the way, alluding to what I said earlier, some say that when an angel is performing his mission, he's called a man. When his mission is complete, he's called an angel. He's only called an angel when he's fulfilled God's word and has returned on high. (laughs) The contrast of the spirit of Sodom to that of Abraham, it says, The quality of generous hospitality is the most prominent feature of the heritage of Abraham. Greed and egoism is always an obvious sign of detachment from the great principles of Judaism. It is by his goodness of heart, that is, practice of charity, that you will recognize the worthy descendants of the patriarchs. Yeshua said you will know them, they will know you rather, by your love for one another. Notice he didn't say they will know you by the halakha that you keep. They'll know whether or not you're a real Jew or not, if you have 10-foot long payo that you can jump rope on. They'll know you if you're a real Jew or not because, you know, you wear a certain type of clothing or a certain type of kippa or a certain type of hat. No, he said they'll know you by your love. I was going to share this for the Wednesday night class, but since it came up, I have a really good friend we've known for years in Israel. His name is Avi, Avi Mishan. Avi is a, he has a shofar factory. He makes shofars. When I say factory, I mean like thousands of shofars in there. Okay? It's crazy. Avi is a dear friend. He uh, is just precious. And he is the one um, from whom we get the saying, Amazing. Well, I pray that he's, I think he's actually going to come here soon, fairly soon. So maybe, maybe, maybe soon. But Avi was talking to me. We were, actually, he wasn't talking to me, he was talking to the girls. And uh, they were talking about Geula Mir Sharim, which are two Orthodox neighborhoods in Yerushalayim, which we spent a lot of time in Mir Sharim, um, shopping. <laughs> um, and said, Let's go to every store. No, it wasn't that bad. Uh, so we went there uh, two or three times in Mir Sharim, a lot, a lot. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It was a great time. We were in Jerusalem. So um, now here's Avi. Avi's an Israeli. You know, he practices Judaism. He's born and raised there multi-generations. Hebrew is his first language. He lost his left leg serving in the IDF in the war against Lebanon. Okay? Okay. Um, he owns and operates a shofar factory in uh, Rishon LeZion, which is a suburb of Tel Aviv. There's a very, very, very strong chance that when you are in Jerusalem buying a shofar, there's a very, very strong chance you're buying one of his. This isn't one of his. But. Um, and he says to us, you know, you go to Mir He said, I go to Mir I go to Gula because I don't fit their halakhic box, they would say to me, I'm not a real Jew. Now, the reason I want to bring that up is because some of you out there swoon when a real Jew says that you're not a real Jew. But understand that um, that's just normal within Judaism. If you're not part of that sect, then whoever is in that sect is going to look at you and say, You're not a real Jew. It doesn't matter if you lost a leg in combat in the Six Day War. It doesn't matter if you speak, it doesn't matter if your coat is long and flowing, but it's not their coat. So I'm just telling you, get over yourself. You know, uh, this is what we're trying to learn here. This society of Sodom had its problems, and one of the problems was that it was, it says here, egoism. They're supposed to know us by our love for people. They're not going to know us by our halakha. Uh. By the way, the Kitzer Shulchan Aruch, Kitzer means um, condensed version. The Kitzer Shulchan Aruch is five volumes long. Anybody that says to me, I follow all of the Shulchan, I'm going to take them out back, I'm going to beat them up. I'm just going <laughs> to kick them across the street in love because they're lying. They don't do the first five pages. I, and I know that for a fact. I don't even know them. I'm just telling y'all, don't let anybody bamboozle you. Okay? There, not everybody who served in the, in the, in the uh, military was, uh, you know, commando, Navy SEAL, Arnold Schwarzenegger. All right? Anyway. I digress. Egoism, what is egoism? Egoism is an ethical theory that treats self-interest as a foundation of morality. Self-interest as a foundation of morality, meaning, scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. It means egoism it means that I'm gonna I'm gonna give you something, maybe some charity, maybe some hospitality, but that's because I, I want something from you totally different from Abraham who just wanted to give to give, to serve to serve. We serve and we don't get anything out of it. That's the the test of a true leader. Doesn't have any ulterior motives. Wants the people that they're serving to be blessed and trust God that he's going to take care of whatever he happens to need or she needs. This just so happens that all of this took place at Passover, which I thought was interesting. It says that he made matzah for them. He made a feast for them because it was Pesach. I just want to go through a few things here because they're so important. It says Hashem's mercy, he had mercy even on Sodom. It says in, uh, in, the, in, the, in the Chumash, it says in the Humash, I should say, it says here too, God different differentiately consulted with his heavenly court and made sulfur and fire rain down on Sodom and Gomorrah from God out of the sky. Initially, it descended as just rain in order to afford the people a chance to repent. He wanted to just start raining on the people, raining in this climate to give the people an idea that they should repent. But it says here, because they refused to repent, it became a downpour of sulfur. Now think about that, how Hashem wanted Sodom to repent. His goal, even with Sodom, who by the way, the sages say that one day in the Messianic times, maybe sooner in our day, Sodom and Gomorrah will be restored. Those cities will be restored. But the inhabitants do not have a share in the world to come. They they go to Go to Gehenna. That's how evil the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah were. And yet, God said, rain on them first. Maybe they'll repent. What does this teach us in our life? It teaches us that we need to take every opportunity to repent and hold on to that repentance. God wants us to repent. He wants us to be victorious. He's going to test us. He's going to try us. You know, a test or a trial implies something uncomfortable. No one that I've ever known walks into a test generally and says, this is going to be awesome. I can't wait for this. Whether it's a a math test, uh huh or a history test, or a physical fitness tests. Uh, used to love those By the way, why did the angels take so long to get there? Because it says they, they arrived in the evening, but it's not, a, it's, it's not that far. They could have gotten there like by lunch. So why did it take so long? The sages bring down that it took so long because the angels saw that Abraham was praying to God. And they thought, well, we're going to kind of dilly-dally because maybe Abraham will be able to affect salvation for the cities and we won't have to destroy them. So they kind of delayed judgment. Delayed judgment. And even when they got to the city, they were talking to Lot. And Lot was telling him, listen, most of the people here are bad, but not everybody. And Lot was arguing with him that they shouldn't destroy the city. And so the angels were kind of listening to see if there was anything that they could bring back to headquarters and say, well, maybe we should destroy it. And at that, about that time was when the guys knocked on the door and said, hey, send them out to us. He said, like, okay, these guys have got to go. Why was Lot's wife turned to salt? Why? It says Life, Lot's wife was accustomed to taking in guests secretly, but when the request when they requested some salt she began to argue with him. She didn't want to give up her salt. Apparently it was very good salt. It says she said of, of everyone here only you take in guests. Better let them sleep outside and not bring lice into the house. Your visitors dirty the house, and I'm the one who has to clean up after him. So it says, the reason the scripture says they came under the shadow of my rafters, the reason it says that specifically in the Torah, is because Lot's wife would not allow them to sleep in the main house. She made them sleep in the shed out back. Now, who are these guys, by the way? Did she say they sleep out in the shed? According to Lot, he doesn't realize they're angels. He thinks they're holy men, they're prophets. crazy. Another insight here, what's the sin of of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, specifically? The sin specifically is that they, they refuse to show hospitality. By the way, Lot's wife, this is something else about Lot's wife and salt. It says, do not look behind you. It says, you have done evil just as they have. He says, it is by Abraham's merit that you're being saved. You really don't deserve to be saved. You deserve to be punished. So it says, whoever is saved from calamity, this is, this is a rabbi monk talking now, whoever is saved by calamity by his own merit has the right to contemplate the victims of divine chastisement. However,. If someone is saved by the grace of God, they have no right to look behind them and consider the chastisement of the wicked. So people that look behind them and to see what's going to happen to all those wicked people at whatever, Armageddon or whatever they want, what they're really saying is I'm being saved by my own merit, so I have the right to look back and see what's going to happen to them. Whereas those of us who understand that we are nothing, and that we're less than nothing, and that we on our best day couldn't save a gnat. don't look back lot looked Lot's wife looked back also because she wanted her stuff. It says that. Lot's wife was fleeing, yet she really longed for that lifestyle and all the stuff there. She missed her her baby grand and that kind of stuff. She had to leave in the house. It says here, charity is called salt. Just as salt preserves meat, preventing it from decaying, so charity preserves one's possessions. If you want to If you want to preserve your stuff, you've got to salt it with charity. If a person wants to safeguard his property, he should use it for charitable purposes, having mercy on the poor. Since she was not charitable, she herself became a pillar of salt. She became the salt. The sages say that she became was a pillar of salt, and all the animals, the cows and all the animals... Lick her on a daily basis, and at the end of the day, she's rejuvenated back to the pillar of salt. So she becomes a perpetual giving pillar because she refused to give. God said it was not enough that she did not salt her possessions with charity and did not allow Lot to bring in the guests. But now, instead of regretting her sins, she's worried about her inheritance. Let her become a pillar of salt says by the sages. There's so much more to share. We're about getting close to being out of time. But let me just say, what are some specific sins, more specific sins of Sodom? For the purposes of our own learning and our own growing so that we can learn from these mistakes and try to avoid them. It says, our sages reveal, this is Ma'am Loez, our sages reveal that the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah was without measure. When a stranger passed by, he was subjected to, pardon me, homosexual rape, it says here. And then, if that wasn't bad enough, he was robbed of all his possessions. They had the audacity to tell Abraham that he too would receive such treatment if he happened to pass by their land. I guess they forgot about how Abraham and a few of his boys took out the kings. They didn't watch that MMA fight. says they hope to make people afraid to pass by their area and they cause people to avoid these cities, it says here, like the plague. Merchants would often flee for their life, leaving their, all their goods behind and the Sodomites would just take it. It would be tempting, it says here, to compare Sodom to Gabia, where a young woman was raped and killed by the Benjamites in Judges 19. But there's a, it says here, Mamelos... Mamma brings down a key difference. In that situation, yes, it was a horrible sin, but that was a sin of passion. That was a sin, it says here, where the people sinned because they were overcome by a passion, because they saw a beautiful woman and they took advantage of her. It's a sin, but why is why were they not destroyed in Sodom was? And the answer is is because the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was not did not involve passion. It was a cold, Calculated policy, designed to intimidate strangers. In other words, it was a part of their essence. People, we sin sometimes because we we were drawn after a passion or whatever. All kinds of examples, or it's all, a whole host of things, what that can mean. And those sins are their sins, and we need to make tshuva. And, and those are terrible. But then there's this where it actually is a part of your nature. You want this, and so you develop it in your life, and it becomes a cold, calculated way of life. There's a great difference between the two, it says here. Often a person is driven to sin by his passions, but after the act is completed, he thinks about it and he regrets it greatly. He did not sin willingly, but only because he was overcome by his desire. If a person is essentially evil, he actually wants to sin and is constantly involved in it without any regret. Since all of them were wicked, the Torah says, God overturned the city in which Lot lived. God had destroyed these cities because they were so very wicked that the best person there was Lot. Think about that. The best person in the whole city was the guy willing to turn his betrothed daughters over to the crazed masses. It says his merit had protected the area since in relation to the others he was a saint. This gives us an idea of the status of the others. It says a couple more things. The Mishnah says there were four human traits. If one says mine is mine and yours is mine, it's the trait of a Sodom. Such a person wishes to derive pleasure from others, but he does not want them to have anything from him. Now, I know I've said somewhat tongue-in-cheek that if you're invited to a a, a potluck, bring something. (laughs) And no, not a bag of chips and a jar of salsa, unless it's a taco bar and they want you to. But don't show up to a potluck or don't show up to somebody's house or era of empty-handed. Even if they said, don't bring anything, bring a bottle of wine. Now, I've said that before, and some people thought that I was like some type of mean ogre, and it like scared them. Because people were like, come to Oneg and eat with us. Like, I didn't bring anything. I'm a sinner. No. (laughs) The reason I say these kinds of things is that it prevents us from dwelling down into the sin of Sodom. Because if you can say to yourself, listen, I won't be somebody who just shows up and takes advantage of somebody's buffet... I'm going to bring something. If you can instill that into your character, then you won't ever become somebody like Sodom who just wants to steal somebody from, some, from other people, right? This is why, if you indulge me for a moment, this is why tithing is so important. It creates in you an a, a, a attitude of generosity. And when you say to yourself, well, I don't believe in tithing, Because Rabbi obviously drives a Maserati. And you come to a building, and I don't care if it's this building or another building. I don't care. You go to a building, you suck up the the A.C., you enjoy the lights, you enjoy the new parking lot. You enjoy the seat you didn't pay for, and you throw, you you give nothing. Or you throw a little penance in every now and then dime, too. Meanwhile, everybody else is paying your bills. Now, when I was growing up, if somebody was paying your bills and you weren't contributing, you eventually got evicted. (laughs) Now, I'm just saying that this is why we teach what we teach here about those kind of things because we've got to engender that kind of personality so that we don't become sodomites and see everybody thought well I'm not a sodomite because I don't I don't fly the colored flag that wasn't their big sin y'all that was only a symptom of the actual sin which was a lack of hospitality in giving what yes why let's read if one says mine is mine and yours is mine, he's wicked. He does not want what others to touch his possessions, but he considers the possessions of others as his own. In other words, you become sterile. You don't multiply, which is what that little multicolored flag life is all about. It's, about, it's a sterile life. There's no possibility of, of reproduction. You can't make other little flag people which is why you've got to go in and brainwash the children because that's the only way to reproduce your kingdom. (laughs) It's robbery. Now, I don't have time to get into it. I need to conclude right here. But... The whole thing about Lot's daughters, there's a lot that Ma'am Louise writes about it. All of it is good. The bottom line is, is just avoid drunkenness. That's just the bottom line. To include, and he, sp- he, he has a whole section in here on Purim. It's okay to have fun. It's okay to have a little, uh, little uh, you know, moonshine. <laughs> as long as you don't find yourself howling at the moon when you're drinking it. Baruch Kabab, Bar Adonai.